good afternoon. Hello, David. What's up? What's up? <laughs> How Hi. you doing? How are you doing? I can't. I can't hear you. Hold on. Hello. Can you hear me now? I can hear you, and I left my mic awful. But yes, what's up? Welcome, welcome, welcome. How most, are you? Most people are happy when they can't hear me. <laughs> no, I like when I can hear you, man. It's okay. good to see you. Good to see welcome. you as well. You're looking healthy. <laughs> Like, yes, I am feeling healthy today. I'm feeling great. It's good to have you. It's good to see you, man. Good. Same to you. Yes, yes, yes. And um, um, let me just do the official welcome today. Let me do the official welcome. By, um, okay. Everybody, this is the Neoliberal Round Podcast. I'm Ronaldo McKenzie. And with me is someone who is not a stranger to the Neoliberal Round Mr. David Fair. Mr. David Fair is the deputy chief of Turning Points for Children. And he is here with us because he recently gave a testimony to the Philadelphia Council on the State of Child Welfare Workforce in Philadelphia. And by extension, it's not just what's going on in Philadelphia, it's what's going on in the world, but particularly in Philadelphia because Turning Points for Children works in Philadelphia. Or Pennsylvania. And so I'm so happy that you could come on the show and to talk with um, the world and talk with people about what is going on in child welfare to bring about awareness and to see what we can do to, um, to, to, and to probably discuss some of the solutions and ways that people can get involved. So welcome, David. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, man, definitely. definitely. Before we begin, um, I'm going to start by saying the title of this episode is Child Welfare in Crisis. Do we really care? That comes from um, the end of your testimony. You asked the question. You said, do we really care? So the title of the show today is Child Welfare in Crisis. Do we really care? And recently I, I talked about Nikki Haley, who's running for president. She said that we need to get people out um, off their coaches and get them back to work. And um, and I have responded by saying, what's the pay like? In fact, studies show that worker satisfaction uh, is at a 30% of Americans are saying that they only go to work because, because they are trying to get a paycheck. Worker satisfaction is still at an all-time low. <laughs> and um, I'm so sorry. And worker turnover is at 45%. 45%. And so... Um, but well, worker turnover in terms of child youth and um, child youth, child child care is at 45 percent. Um, I think there is something else. So one of the questions I want to go is, I want to talk with you about talk with us about turning points. Your um, your involvement. How long have you been involved in turning points, the children? Come on. Okay. Well, I've personally been at turning points for about ten years now. Uh, during that time, we expanded from a small program that was dedicated to prevention of child abuse. We did work with parents, parent education programs, support programs, so that they didn't get involved in the child welfare system. Uh, we had a program, still have a program called Family Finding, 
which helps find other relatives or friends or families of kids who will take those kids and care for those kids rather than have them go through the child welfare system. Um, and we've had a number of other programs over the years aimed at prevention of, it's, we call it prevention of child abuse, but it's largely prevention of involvement with the child welfare system because the child welfare system itself creates a lot of stress. I'm not putting it down. I mean, we have to, right. we have to yes, make it yes. work. But the reality is that once the government gets involved in working with a family, initially that's going to create an enormous amount of stress in that family that's already stressed out, which is how they got to the attention of the child welfare system in the first place. So the um, um, what happened was that back in 2011, 2012, the Department of Human Services basically for the first time in its 60-year history sorry my my puppies are going to have things to say about all this as well during yes. the meeting. um that dhs actually admitted that it was not doing good a good job of providing child welfare services and decided to invest in a new model which in philadelphia was called improving outcomes for children that was based on investing in community organizations to provide is that child what you're talking that's cool the community um, is that the part course. of the um, okay. community umbrella yeah, that's agency. one of my questions because as you talk about funding i thought four would develop just for that but continue sorry for interjecting yeah, improving outcomes for children was a sort of comprehensive model that was based on um in, in a simple way simplistic way of talking about it get the government workers out of the mix and invest in community-based organizations that were credible in their communities, that knew their communities, that knew the people in their communities. Invest in them to help those families that came to the attention of DHS so that we could do a better job of keeping those families together and if necessary, because yes, there's no yes. other choice, finding other families adoptive families or kinship families they're called um, for these kids if there's no other solution. And the the um, model is a great model. The problem yeah. is, and, and, and in 2012, 2013, DHS put out requests for proposals for community organizations to do that work. And Turning Points was one of the agencies that applied under the request for proposals to do improving outcomes for children work. And the program was called Community Umbrella Agencies because at the time the thought was DHS would invest the money in the Community Umbrella Agency. Community Umbrella Agency would then not only provide the social work services that families needed, but would also have money to invest in other community organizations that they could partner with to do prevention services, to do all sorts of, of um, specialized services that families needed. Um, so that, that's where the umbrella comes from. We're an umbrella of agencies working to keep children safe in the particular communities that we were working in. There were 10 regions of the city that the city was divided in based on police districts and, and turning points was contracted to provide those services, those core services, those improving outcome for children's services in, in two regions. And later on, when another agency went bankrupt, we picked up two more. So we have four regions out of the 10 
that Turning Points is now providing services in, which is over 3,000 children that every day who are involved with the mission. Is that 3,000 new um, children or it's just recurring? Well, it's about three child with three thousand at a time. There's a okay, okay. all the time. Children get adopted. Children get returned okay. to their families. But unfortunately, there are new children coming in who need help. Okay. Um, the, the the theoretical concept behind improving outcomes for children is excellent. I mean, it really is. Um, uh, 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 on the term I'm looking for, it's a, it's a it's a dramatic change from the way child welfare is traditionally provided. The real challenge we've had in Philadelphia is that DHS has never really had the resources to implement it the way it needed to be implemented. And on top of that, there were all sorts of uh, political pressures and, and, and uh, resistance to the new model from people who worked at DHS who were used to doing things a certain way. And even though and, when we were asking, and I have with me, I have a guest with me. So, and the provider agencies, and, and the and the provider and agencies. the provider agencies, absolutely. Okay. Um, yes, we yes. were asked when we were when the RFPs, the request for proposals, were put out in 2012. Each agency that applied argued for its own approach to how we uh -huh. would keep kids safe. Unfortunately, DHS has never allowed any of the agencies to implement yes. what they applied for. What they did was basically convert those agencies into arms of DHS, doing it the, the old fashioned way of child welfare that DHS historically did. And as a result, yes. we're getting the same results we got when DHS was doing it. We haven't seen the advancement that we had planned for under IOC and under the COAs because we were never able to implement the program. I'm not blaming DHS for that. DHS is stuck with the resources that it has. Uh, unfortunately, the original and plan for people was, who don't know what DHS is, it's the Department for Human Services. The Department for and, uh, Human and, Services. And, 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 and just quickly talk about um, the shift, because it was um, the program, Child Youth and Family Services, was strictly um, a program that was provided by the Department of Human Services. And then later on, that changed around, you said, 2014. They're about, right. I work in IHIPS, Juvenile Justice right. Center. Before. Right. And okay. just as they were transitioning out and changing from IHIPS to COAS, a lot of agencies and workers were transitioned to other careers, career opportunities. There are a lot of workers and um, professionals left and right, a lot of people left child welfare completely and were talking with professional. So do you think that, and then they move towards improving outcomes. So, and you say that they really have not implemented the, 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 the philosophy or the practice. The, um, and you said it's because it could be because of funding. Well, it's because of funding, but it's also because of vision and lack thereof. Um, yes. The leadership that envisioned improving outcomes for children in the COAs, um, left DHS after the first couple of years. And what we got in return, and, and I don't know how to say this in a kind way, we got the old line DHS leadership that was not ever really invested in community-based services who were interested in reaffirming or reasserting DHS's model of providing child welfare services, and that's what they did. They converted the COAs 
away from the original model to what DHS had been doing up until that point, which basically violated the eventual, the, the initial vision for improving outcomes for children. Improving outcomes for children was supposed to be a break with the past. Instead, it was converted, it was converted into the same model that DHS had historically followed. The one difference was they were using community-based workers as opposed to city workers, and they were paying significantly less to those workers and paying significantly less for child welfare services than had historically been provided. So we're what they did was they replaced the DHS system, which had already failed, and they admitted that it failed with the DHS system that had already failed. Mm. They just did it with community organizations that were cheaper. And so they wound up spending less money. They also, at the same time, and this doesn't get the attention that it deserves, the foster care system, which is different from the community umbrella agency system, the community umbrella agency system provides social work to the children who are in child welfare. It used to be, before course, it used to be that there was a worker for the city and there was a worker for the foster care agency, both of whom were looking after those children. And under the Improving Outcomes for Children model, there was only one worker, and that was yes. the core worker. And they took away the worker from the foster care agency. The foster care agencies were in get instead focused um, on supporting the foster parent and helping to create stronger foster parents in the city. There's nothing wrong with that model, it just never worked. And the reason it never worked was because nobody was funded enough to make it work. And just so you know, and then we've been talking about, you fast forward, this is 2023. There is, um, and I think we've been talking about that, there is a homelessness report. Homelessness is on the rise. There's the opioid crisis continued in Philadelphia. Crime and violence has been sky, has skyrocketed, especially among young people in Philadelphia. Um, and when I did a, several shows, several a series of shows, talking to hundreds of people in Philadelphia, and I asked, what's wrong with Philadelphia? They said, we need a father's movement. They, they, everybody is pointing to 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 um, to parenting, but um, but here we are. You're talking about this shift now. What is the philosophy behind this shift, this movement? Because and by the way, I'm going to read your testimony in a few seconds. Was it really? Was was it really? Because we thought it was about improving outcomes, but was it really to improve outcomes, or was it really a fiscal matter? So so was it a budgetary issue? Well, I mean, I can't speak for the specific motivations of some of the individuals who led this process. I'm sure it was considered an advantage that it was going to be cheaper. And so the um, that support that some of the motivation was obviously to see if we could get a better bang for our buck by spending less money and get better outcomes. I think looking back even if that was a legitimate belief in the time, which I don't believe it really should have been, but even if it was, it never worked that way. We, by spending less money, we did, be, we did worse work. And yes. that's where we stand today. Okay. And I'm actually trying to pull up your, um, um, the testimony that you shared with me, if I can find it. Um, there it is, the testimony of David Fair. 
and we are going to share the testimony with those persons who may not have access. So the testimony of David Fair, Turning Point for Children, um, he says, thank you for the opportunity to speak with you today. My name is David Fair, and I am deputy, the Deputy Chief Executive Officer for Turning Point for Children. Turning Point for Children operates the largest community umbrella agency and foster care program in the Philadelphia area, serving almost 3,000 children daily. And primarily as a result of inadequate funding, we have experienced significant staffing challenges in both programs in recent years. Now, we have and will hear of the details and the numbers which show the crisis in child welfare that chronic, that chronic underfunding has wrought for both DHS and its providers. But what you might not hear of is the extraordinary stress and trauma related to the provision of child welfare services and of the toll such stresses take on those remarkable people who choose to do this work every day. Turning Point is honored to employ over 600 of these amazing people who go to incredible lengths every minute and every hour to reach our overarching goals that every child be safe and that every child be with their family whenever possible. You go now, and so one of the questions I would ask you, what I will ask you is, um, what about private, the private sector? Um, what has been your agency? How has your agent? I mean, I know you receive money from the state as well, and but what about um, the the private sector? Private investment are they involved in? And what about the your your company working with other agencies or why, as part of a wider agency, PHMC? What has been the support of PHMC and other private investors? Well, PHMC, even though it's a big organization, relies almost solely on government funding. So it's not it's not as if it has money; it can yes, yes, from the profits it's making in some for-profit business. I yes. think I think the we spent we have a staff of three people who do nothing but try to get support for these children from the private sector, and the difficulty we face is that the private sector organizations the and, and the foundation community, they yes. look at DHS and say, you have a $700 million budget. $700 million. Why is it you do such a bad job? And they can't answer that question. And I can't answer that question really, at least not easily, quickly. Um, DHS is a workforce of 1,000 people. They had a workforce of a thousand people when they were doing this child welfare work. They're no longer doing this child welfare work, but they still have a thousand people. The, the idea originally was DHS workforce would, would be reduced yes. because the community organizations were going to be picking up the work. That's not what happened. So the result is we're still paying for that thousand member workforce. It's really more than a thousand workforce and we're paying for the community-based organizations. It's one of the primary reasons we don't have enough money to yeah. pay for quality services because we're duplicate, not duplicating the work, but we're duplicating the workforce. And DHS should have, really should have, re dramatically reduced its workforce when they decided that they were gonna invest instead in community-based workers, but they didn't do that. So the result that we face when we try to get foundations to give us money for the community umbrella agencies, when we finally get corp 
try to get corporations to invest in this. It's not that they won't do it or that they don't want to do it. It's that they keep asking the question, why do we need to do it? Why isn't the public sector doing what it's supposed to do to help these children be safe? And and I can't answer that question because I don't understand why the city still has a big workforce for child welfare when all the work's being done by the community umbrella agencies. I can't explain that. And nobody's, and the reality is people are afraid to raise that question because it gets you into trouble. You know, it's like, I mean, it's like one of the reasons um, why I can be seen as unpopular uh, in government agencies is because at least I do try to raise the questions. I'm not trying to make them look bad. I'm trying yeah, to get answers. Yeah, yeah. And the, because there are answers, I just don't know what the answers are. And and we have to have an honest discussion about how we're spending the $700 million of DHS. And it's not just DHS's $700 million, it's not just city taxpayer money, it's state and federal taxpayer money as well. Um, in fact, it's mostly state and federal money. It's not, it's not mostly city money. Um, we have to we have to ask the question: Are you spending that money the most efficiently you can expend? You can spend right now. Yeah. Everybody asks that question of the coas because we're the community-based agencies. We have the contracts. Why can't you do this job when you're being given? We're being given just at Turning Points for Children forty million dollars to take right. care of those three thousand children. Why can't we take care of those three thousand children? the way we would like to take care of those children. And one of the arguments we make is because we can't pay our workers enough. Our workers yeah. are getting between five and $10,000 less than the workers at DHS get, and nobody knows what the workers at DHS are doing. Yes. Wow. So the, the, we're getting significantly yes. less money. And the yes. workforce, therefore, can't support their own families. These are 60, 70 hour a week jobs. Yes. We, yes. We, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that we still have 500 workers, 600 workers doing this work, despite the fact that they're so vastly paid, despite the fact that they have their own children. And they're doing it because they're passionately concerned about keeping these children safe. They're not doing it for Thank the money. You. And, and self and doing Uber on the side. Understand, understood. <laughs> they are doing Uber on the side. They are doing a lot of side gig, but not only that, but they're also adding more paperwork, more fluff that you have to give into DHS, the Department of Human Services, the agency that oversees child youth and family services in the city. Is that if their work is just more administrative and they hire all of these administrative people, and so the funds are becoming it's as if it's 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 more, and it's as if child child care becomes more heavy, more administrative. Absolutely. Instead of IBM, IBM did a study. This was about ten years ago. IBM did a study where they followed social workers, child welfare social workers around. This was nationally um, to see what they spent their time doing, and what yes. they determined was that those workers spent eighty five percent of their time completing paperwork. Now, I'm not putting down that paperwork. That paperwork is how people are held accountable. When the paperwork yes. doesn't, when the paperwork says you didn't visit that family, then you are at some way responsible if something goes wrong in that family. But the reality is 
that we prioritize the paperwork. And I think we prioritize the paperwork because it's about holding, it is it, the legitimate reason is, it's about holding people accountable to get to work. The not legitimate reason is, we want to cover our asses to make sure that we're we can say we're not to blame. That's the reason we have the paperwork, you know? And, we, and, and that's one of the reasons we have the paperwork. And over the years, it's become so much a part of the job that you can't really argue it's about good social work. I, I, yeah. At least I can't make that argument anymore in good context. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's really about making sure that if and when something goes wrong, you can at least say, yes, but we did the job we were paid to do. So it's not our fault that something went wrong. You know, we have yeah. a case. We had a case that uh, where a, a law, we, were, we were sued because DHS placed a child back in the home of a father who had previously sexually abused them. And, and DHS made the determination that child, that home was now safe for these child, this child or these children. And they put the children back in the home and lo and behold, the father abused the children sexually again. That was a turning points case. We did everything we were supposed to do in that case. The paperwork showed we never failed to do anything that was we were supposed to do. DHS, of course, can't be sued because it's a government agency. So we get sued because we're the community-based agency, and DHS requires us to have $10 million of insurance coverage. So we have $10 million oh, wow. of insurance coverage. A lawyer sees that and says, I'm going to get $3 million if I sue and get $10 million. And that's exactly what happened in that case. Even though DHS sent the kid back, not us, the kids back, not us, even though the city attorney's office agreed the children should go back, even though the child's own lawyer, the children's own lawyer said the children should go back. And nonetheless, they went to court and the insurance company said, we'll never win this case. So they paid the $10 million. Oh wow! Wow! And the lawyer made and the the lawyer made three million dollars. And fortunately yes. for these kids, at least the kids got mi millions of dollars now that they that will help them get over the, the 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 experience they unfortunately had as children. I'm not quite questioning that those children needed to be compensated in some way, but the whole system to to that, that there's so many technicalities that everybody can claim they're doing what they're supposed to do and children can still get screwed. It makes no sense. Yes, yes. And I see your passion. And um, just so you know, we're speaking with Mr. David Fair. Mr. David Fair is the deputy chief at Turning Point for Children. And you yourself, sir, you used to be uh, a chief at DHS. You worked at, as an executive at the Department of, of Human Services. Yes. And um, you've seen the changes um, and the exodus of workers and, and the bureaucracy. And so what we need to talk about. So I am, but I want to finish your, 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 the, your testimony real quickly. You said that we have and will hear the details and the numbers which shows, which show the crisis in child welfare that chronic underfunding has wrought for both DHS and its providers. But what you might not hear of is the extraordinary stress and trauma. Talk about that, the, the, the stress and the trauma related to the provision of child welfare, um, given the, the, the limited funding. How, 
uh, how are you guys able to provide the kind of services given the um, given the limitations in terms of funding and so on? Well, I mean that's the that's the crisis. I think the crisis is that while our workers do the absolute best they can do, it's not enough. The workers in our system, we have workers in our system who've been working in child welfare for 30 years, and they somehow continue to show up to yes. care about these families and compare about, uh, care about these fam uh, parents and these children and try to help them get stabilized so that DHS is no longer involved in their life. On the other hand, we also have and I would say it's at least 60% of our workforce, workers who have very little experience in providing help to these families. These are new workers coming into the child welfare system, still believing in, in, the, fact, in, the, in the fact that their career is going to allow them, ah, excuse me, to help keep families yes. safe or get families back to a place of safety. And the, the especially the younger workers, are learning on the job. Yeah, they do get they do get a couple of months training beforehand, but the training I have to say is mostly about how to fill out the paperwork. It's not about how to be a good social worker because we yeah. don't even call them social workers anymore. We call them case managers. And, yeah, the reason, yeah. and the reason we changed the name was because we realized we weren't letting them do social work. Social work is about actually engaging with the family and talking to them yes. about what's going on and helping them learn new skills. We don't do yes. that. Child welfare system is not about that. The child welfare system is about getting other systems to work for these families. So yes. our worker has to make a referral. It's all about, did you make the referral? Most yes. of the paperwork is about, did you make the referral to somebody else to help this family? Of course, that somebody else is in a system that's also not working. And so your luck, it's the luck of the draw. If a family need if a child wow. mental health services, you can make the refer you can do your job as a as a co-worker and refer that child to a mental health agency. But if that mental health agency is overwhelmed itself and unable to provide services to that family when they need it, and it's going to take three months or six months or ten months for that child to even get to a therapist, then no wonder it doesn't work. But our worker, our worker did their job. Their paperwork will show. We made the referral the way we were supposed to make the referral. Aren't we wonderful? And the reality is that the system is fragmented. I mean, one, back in the day, when I was a deputy commissioner at DHS, Estelle Richmond, was managing director of the city of Philadelphia. She's an amazing woman um, yes. who's retired, but she actually just came out of retirement to get involved in organizing a lot of the gun violence work. But Estelle's, Estelle's vision was have city programs that work together. That yes, they have to refer to each other because our federal funding all requires different funding streams, but there's a way you can blend those dollars so that every person, who is engaging with a family that's involved in the child welfare system can be a person who knows at least that they can get behavioral health services, that they can get housing, because uh, uh, many, many families end up in child welfare simply because they can't find a place, 
a stable place to, to, to live with their children. Many families are in child welfare that don't below, belong in child welfare. It's not that they're neglecting their children. They're too damn poor. To poor, take yes. Children. And we have programs to help them, but those programs are overwhelmed themselves. So when, when my worker makes a referral to those programs, they're going down to the bottom of the list for that, wow. for that agency. It's not because they don't want to help. It's that agency yes. just as overwhelmed as we are. So it's, a, it's an absurd system that needs to be integrated a lot better than it is today. That's true. We can't get there tomorrow because that's, that's a major fundamental change in how we do social services. But it's the only solution, really. We have to integrate these services in a way that the workers don't see themselves just as advocating for their own system's responsibility, but they see themselves as making all of the systems work for these families. And we don't hire those kinds of workers. We hire child welfare workers, we hire mental health workers, we hire homeless workers, we hire workers in other systems that have to help these families. And they all advocate, or they all are committed because they have to, to keep their jobs, to making their system respond the way it's supposed to respond. But when that doesn't work altogether, because there's nobody's job to make sure it's all working, that's why we have these problems today. And when back when I was at DHS, they created um, Estelle and Alba Martinez, who was the commissioner at the time, yes. created a new division. It was called the Division of Community-Based Prevention Services. And Mayor Street gave us a hundred million dollars, a hundred million dollars of new money yes. to create a system of care throughout the community that was dedicated making all of the different systems work better to keep kids out of the child welfare system. And we were successful. We were, I mean, we had our problems. I'm not saying it was perfect, but we yes. were successful in keeping many kids away from the child welfare system. You know, one of the reasons kids end up in child welfare is because their families are working and they come out of school at three o'clock in the afternoon and their parent doesn't get home till six o'clock. And that between that three and six, um, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. time frame, child gets into trouble or the yes. child gets is hungry or the child gets abused by somebody else mm -hmm. in the community. And the yes. so we said we're going to create a network of after school programs in the neighborhoods where we know the cases of child welfare involvement are highest. And we're yes. going to create after school programs for that period from 3 to 6 p.m. And lo and behold, the number of kids who came into the child welfare system reduced. Yes. When Mayor Nutter came into office, what did he do? He closed all those programs because they were associated with John Street and he hates John Street. There's a number of different programs like that that Mayor Nutter closed. But there was also the recession. He didn't have the money to keep them going the way that John Street was able to put the money into them. But that was an attempt to redefine how we do social services in Philadelphia that yes. only got started before it was killed. And I'm not blaming the people who killed yes. it, but they were evil people. There were lots of good reasons why they weren't able to continue to do that work the way we were doing it. But the bottom line is we proved, we proved that if you did it differently, you would get better outcomes. Yes, yes, yes. The outcomes came to 
improving outcomes for children came along, part of the theory was we could replicate some of those services, but that never happened. Wow, wow, wow. So what we need to do now is to go back to the drawing board and to look at what worked in the past and what does not work now and see how we can merge that. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, so what is... What are they having that kind of conversation? Because actually, we've been hearing, I've worked in the course before, and we've been hearing the problems in terms of the high worker turnover. And so we've been hearing the problems. So, but, but, but they, and I thought that they were going to dismantle the course and go back to what they have. But what, where are we now in terms of, in terms of this system of improving outcomes and what is DHS doing about it? What is the government of Philadelphia, the city government is doing it? and professionals in the city? What are they saying? What is happening? Well, we've progressed enough to be able to at least recognize that things are broken um, and that we have to figure out ways to fix them. We have not gotten to the point where anybody has stepped up, and this is where the mayor's race comes in, where anybody has come up, stepped up to say what John Street and Alba Martinez said in the early 2000s, we have to start from scratch. We have to forget. We have, I'm sorry. We have to, to recognize that the way things are working now is not working for most families. So we have to think broadly about new ways to do the work. And right now, what we're doing is we're focusing on individual issues within the work, like the child welfare workforce crisis. That's an individual issue that's part of the problem. It's not the problem. Yes. It's part of the problem. We talk about the need to get guns off the street because these young kids are hurting themselves because we don't have concentrated efforts to provide alternatives to them when they were 10, 11, 12 years old so that they don't choose to get into the gun violence the way that they do when there's no other option. I mean, these are all pieces of the problem that we try to address. And I'm all for trying to address those problems. But I believe we need a mayor who's going to step back and say, we need a comprehensive solution. We need to sit down with the people who do mental health, with the people who drug, do drug and alcohol, with the people who are doing anti-gun violence, with the people who are doing housing, with the people who are doing mental health. You know, we're going to have to, we have to sit down with all of those people and say, what's a common solution we can come up with? using all of our resources because all of our resources together is several billion dollars a year the department of mental health or department of behavioral health spends a billion dollars a year more than a billion dollars a year dhs spends 700 million dollars a year the recreation yeah. department spends 300 million dollars a year just those three departments have two billion dollars and i think we need a mayor and we need a city council that steps back and say, says, well, how we're spending the $2 billion today is well-intentioned, but it's not achieving the results we need. How do we rethink how we spend that $2 billion? And it's not going to be an overnight solution, but we have to at least ask the damn question and, and, and look at the, look for answers. And if we do that, I honestly believe that we will get, we will stop using early 20th century solutions and start yeah. developing 21st century solutions to solve these problems.
And by the way, um, I just got a question from someone who is watching in live studio. The question is, what are the what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on people running for mayor? Say, for example, Allen Tops is running for mayor in Philadelphia. Are they, are they coming up with solutions for solving your issues? Are they coming up with solutions? Um, are they talking about solutions? And by the well, way, this is live on Facebook. A lot of people are watching it right now. Okay. So, yeah. So what? What? Yes. Go ahead. Uh, I'll probably get fired tomorrow. But the <laughs> I don't. Uh, I have to say that I think that. It's still, even though it's already March and the election's in two months, I think the campaign has really not gotten underway. There is, and so people aren't talking about these things in the serious way we need to talk about them. I think there are a number of good human beings who are running for mayor who may have the courage to do something different if they get into office. You know, I can't, I'm not going to endorse one of them over the other until they get to talk about these things. There is, a, there is a campaign led by an organization called Children's First that's called the Kids Campaign, and has come up with, that's another, another um, um, story you might want to cover. It's called the Kids Campaign. It came up with 12 statements, and when it asked the mayors, the mayoral candidates, to sign off that they would, they believed in these 12 statements about what we should be doing for children. The kids campaign is trying to make kids issues, children's issues, children and youth issues, the number one issues that we are facing in the city so that all of the candidates will be forced to make statements and commitments about what they will do to help children. That we're, we're at the stage where we've gotten eight of the candidates to sign off. Yes, we agree with nice. the 12 nice. statements. But we're now saying to them, it's not good enough to agree to the statements. Now you have to tell us, how are you going to do something about it? What's the real work you're going to do when you come to be mayor? We've issued 12 position papers where we've explained to them, just in case they don't get it, We've explained to them what the issues are that are facing children in 12, these 12 different areas and, the, and asking them to write a response. What will they do in response to our position papers? What commitments uh, will they make? Yes, and if this yes. works, and I think this could work, if this it's, works, we'll get them down on paper with yes. the signature saying, yes, for example, yes. I will make sure the Department of Behavioral Health and the Department of Human Services integrate their services so that the number one problem we have in Philadelphia, which is trauma for these kids, we're going to address that trauma by using the billion dollars of the Department of Behavioral Health and the $700 million of the Department of Human Services. If I was running for mayor, I would say, I'm going to take the money and spend as much of it as possible in addressing the trauma of young people in this city and their families. Because uh, if we address that trauma, so many other city problems start coming towards a solution. Suddenly the education system is not trying to do mental health services and, and, and every other community services you need. They're, they're, suddenly they'll be able to focus on education because somebody else is focusing on helping these kids deal with their trauma. The trauma is not going away. You know, yes. we can't relieve the trauma. The traumas are bigger problems. The yes. trauma is because of bigger problems than any one city can handle or solve. But we can reduce the trauma and we, could, we can make it 
so that the behavioral health system and the DHS system and the school system are working as a team to address that. That is true. That is true. And and what I'm saying to the mayoral candidates who talk to me and ask for help and how they're going to answer these questions, I say to them, that's that's my answer. Put it down on paper so that on January of 2024, we can say to you, okay, what are you going to do now? You know, and we hope to get most of the mayoral candidates, at least the serious ones, we hope to get them on paper making these commitments so that after their may after their elected mayor, we can hold them accountable to do that. Oh, kids wow. campaign if you look if you look up if you search for kids campaign Philadelphia. Yes, I was gonna ask you about that. Kids campaign. There is a, there is a website and I honestly can't remember the address. But if you search for it, kids campaign Philadelphia, it'll come up. And it'll give you the 12 points that we're making. It'll show you all the position papers that we have. We've delivered them all to the candidates. We're having having um, mayoral forms. I mean, we're having a particular mayoral form that I'm heavily involved in with a group called Philly Homes for Youth, where I'm a co-chair, we're, which is about youth homelessness. We're going to be having a mayoral form sometime in mid-April. We're still working on the date. But we're going to talk to them specifically about the thousands of homeless children in Philadelphia, and what are you going to do? We're trying to make this campaign less about the big issues the newspapers want to talk about. We want yes. to talk. We want We want to force the candidates to talk about the children, because if we have a mayor who's focused on taking care of the children, it will naturally mean they will be taking care of all of us. Thank you, and I actually. What I did, let me go back here, bring up my screen, and then share my screen, share my screen again. Press share. There we go. There it is. I typed in kids um, campaign and it came right up. So it is, it is join the kids campaign um, January 13th, 2023. So that was when we started the campaign, yes. Um, 30 children died by gunfire in Philadelphia last year outside their homes, schools, and ball fields. Others lost family, friends, and mentors to homicide in inner city, where people are afraid to leave their homes in fear of being carjacked, assaulted, or gunned down. Voters will elect Philadelphia's 100th mayor this year. 100th mayor this year. A milestone election in this city riddled with drugs and violence, where only 17% of the city's fourth graders are proficient in reading and a third of children live in poverty. It's time that together we demand that those vying for the city's top spot, that the vision and political will to make every day safer than the day before for the children. Join the growing list of organizations and individuals already signed up for the kids campaign and put children's safety and success at the top of every candidate agenda. We must ensure the next mayor champions the resources kids need to be safe. We've been talking about gun violence. I say to people, it's not that we've been talking about gun violence and reducing gun violence by regulating guns and providing. And I say to you, look at what is going on in the fa- in, in, in homes and in Philadelphia. Why can't we put more money in child welfare? Why can't we put more money in these programs that need funding in order to improve families and that will also help to make communities safer. It's not just pouring money into guns or regulating the gun because that really does not work. Look what's going on in Jamaica. In Jamaica and in some of these Caribbean countries. 
I'm from Jamaica, so I can talk about gun violence and, and the fact that we have a very restrictive gun policy, but yet we have the highest crime. But recently we're hearing that crime is down 31% in Jamaica. But I'm saying to us that if we want to deal with some of the problems, the social problems and the crime and violence in society, we also need to look at child rearing and child care. You know, so so we so, so listen, there's no reason why anyone should fire. You are speaking profoundly well. And it's my fraternity, my line brother, Malcolm Yates is hearing me. I hope I don't know if he can do something to help. Because there are people at your agency at PHMC that focus at working with government and other investors to help um improve financing. So we are hoping that um are you guys getting any kind of assistance assistance from PHMC and other agencies that um that helps with your agency? Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons we became an affiliate of the PHMC is that they have a wide variety of services that they themselves provide, especially when it comes to housing and mental health and other kinds of services. And so we can we can directly partner with our fellow affiliates at PHMC to provide better services to children than we might have been able to if we weren't part of PHMC. But we have to remember that PHMC is a collaboration of agencies. It's not itself a funder. It's not. It doesn't have any money beyond what it gets from government agencies. Ah, so okay, okay. they're not a foundation. They're not a, you know, they're not a source. They're a source of help because they have almost 300 programs, most of which are for families and children. And so we can take advantage of those programs, and we do actively every single day. Um, but PHMC is not a city agency. It's not a, the Philadelphia Foundation or the Pew Foundation. It's, okay, it, right, it, right. Uh, it's just a provider like the rest of us are. And right. I, I just found another email address that's actually better. It's Children Matter Action Fund. Children Matter Action Fund, one word, dot org. Okay, that's, where the, that's where the uh, position papers are that we gave to the mayoral candidates. And if um, people go to there, they'll have more information than from the site that you uh, originally came up with, Children Matter Action Fund. Let's start that in right here. And we're getting ready to wrap up, but Children Matter. Matter no, no space. Actionfund.org. My, my fraternity brother said that I should have had Malcolm on this call. I thought about it after. Um, yes, and I think you are familiar with Malcolm, who is my line brother, who works with PHMC. I should have had him on the show because he works with government relations. He's also campaigning for one of the mayors. Okay, oh, and really? We, I'm, I, I, yes, and I want to know, and I, we, I am, we want to hold everybody. We want to hold our government officials accountable. We and we are concerned about what's going on in Philadelphia. We're definitely concerned with, in terms of families. So this is it, um, children's children care voter. Is this it? Yes, this is it. If you uh, scroll down, you'll see that there's link a link to where it says join the conversation. You have to go up a little bit. You have to go up a little bit. Join the kids uh, campaign conversation. Okay. If you click on that link, you get to all the different aspects of what's going on. In the, I think that's a link. It's not a link. Allow me to click. I'm not sure why, but. Um... Not sure why. Well, anyway, that's the right website. So, oh, there it is. Maybe you do it at the on the on the logo. Yes, yes, I think so too. Um, bring it up here. Children's First Action Fund. 
Okay. So you're not saying that Malcolm is there with you, are you? Oh, no, 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 no. Just another okay. another brother, another I'm going to get in trouble with Malcolm for talking about the election. With, who works with the agency, actually. Another yes. fraternity brother of mine is in studio here, and he is confirming a lot of what you are saying. So um, this show, we don't operate on hearsay, guys. The Neoliberal Round Corporation and the Neoliberal Round. And what we are doing, we are a serious organization, a serious independent digital news agency. And we have connections and links that provide us with the, with the news. Okay, so, um, but the only thing is we're a podcast. And many people think that we're independent, but we are serious news guys. We have connections with serious people who can provide information about what is going on. And, you know, as I get ready to wrap up, because I want to go back and... Um, I'm going to be, if please guys, visit the neoliberal.com website and RonaldoCMcKenzie.com website. We're doing a number of initiatives and petitions that advocate, advocate for justice and democracy. And so please visit the website and, and see how you can participate in some of these initiatives. After this interview um, with Mr. Mr. Fair, we will do an article and include some of these initiatives that he's talking about and ways that you can hold your government um, and city officials accountable and how you can get involved in what's going on in child welfare or social services. How is your DHS money being spent? How is your money being spent in Philadelphia as it relates to child welfare? And what can we do differently, you know, in terms of how the funds are being dispersed? That's very important. But um, let me go back to, uh, to this screen here. There we go. And um, I'm going to wrap up by reading one thing that you said. Oh, that's a different. Uh, I have several things working on. There we go. <laughs> I'm working on a million things, but you said that um, I have been honored to serve. Um, sorry, that, yes. You said I've been honored to serve on the Philadelphia City Welfare Workforce Task Force. And to have, so Mr. Fair said he's honored to serve on the Philadelphia Child Welfare Workforce Task, Task Force. So this is a guy that knows what he's talking about. And to have been part of developing the urgent report and recommendations that you have before you. I will leave to others at this hearing to provide the details, but the report makes clear what anyone in child welfare has known for a long time, that our lack of support for those on the front lines of caring for almost at-risk children feeds child abuse and neglect rather than reduce. To be clear, by failing to pay a living wage to child welfare workers at all levels, by overwhelming those workers with unnecessary burdensome paperwork, which often drains them of their equity and often has little relationship with the safety and well-being of the child, by thinking that it makes sense to assign caseloads of up to 30, you said caseload of up to 30? One yeah. case manager has a caseload of 30 and more children at one time by creating a system that is destined to fall or to fail, so many families, we as a community, carefully them, simply are not doing the best we can for the children and families who come up to help. Wait, we have a question. Wait, I'm seeing you case managers still have caseload of 30? Yes, they do. I mean, because we have so few case managers compared to the need, they just we just have to keep adding new children to the yes, existing yes. workers. That's why they wind up. They'll, and what DHS will say is that, yes, but they only have 13 cases, but they aren't pointing out or whatever the number is. But they're not pointing out that one family could be three children, could be 10 <laughs> children. 
That's yes. Each, and they have to deal with each individual child as an individual client, even though they might only have one family um, that the children belong to. And thank you. And I wanted you, I wanted you to point that out because that's been my experience as well. You can have a caseload of ten, but it's one one case could be fifty people. <laughs> yes. So that's exactly no, that's not exaggerating to be honest. Now, as the largest community-based child welfare organization in the region, Turning Point therefore has both the largest child welfare workforce in the city, in the system, and the biggest challenges to finding and retaining those workers. This is not because of lack of effort on the part of Turning Points or its funders at state and city DHS. Earlier in this hearing, that's according to the letter. Earlier in this hearing, Commissioner Ali detailed the extraordinary effort that DHS is making for fiscal year 2024 to improve compensation for child welfare workers. That is important progress, but that is not enough. But you know what? This is great. I need to, for people watching on the show, let, tell me, uh, what is the new compensation? Uh, or what, what, is it, what is Mr. Ali working on in terms of improving compensation? What does it look like for 2024? I'm sorry, are you asking like, what's the salary level? Yeah, you said that um, earlier this year, um, Co Commissioner Ali detailed the extraordinary effort that DHS is making for fiscal year 2024 oh. to improve compensation for child welfare workers. So I'm asking, so is there a move that are they working on improving the, the compensation for child yes. social workers? Uh, after years of asking for them to do this, DHS finally is asking the state, is asking the city to put up more money for salaries because the state will match what the city puts up. And the match is a good match. It's a four-to-one match. So by asking, mm. by asking for a few million dollars more from the state, they'll get, um, just as an example, if the city puts up $2 million towards salaries, they'll get another $8 million from the state because the city matches, the state matches four-to-one. So what they finally agreed to do this year in the Kennedy administration, and I don't know the exact yeah. numbers, but they're putting up enough money so that the salaries will be able to go from about forty-four to forty-five thousand dollars a year to fifty-one, fifty-two thousand dollars a year. That's still not good enough, but it's significantly better than what they're yes, getting paid. Yes, yes. And it awesome. is. Um, I'm not, not used to the, hearing that. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. This is great and news. If, and, and if the if the, if the state still has to agree to do that. And we won't know. Yes. We will know soon. We'll know in the next couple of months if the if the city council approves the additional money for DHS, Philadelphia DHS, because if the city council approves it, the state will likely approve the match, and that will increase the salaries for the co-workers throughout the system, as well as the foster care agency workers, which is a different system. But those workers are also vastly underpaid. It's still not close to what they should be. When our workers, when they when they start making fifty-one thousand dollars a year, fifty-two thousand dollars a year, they will be competing, or we will be competing with salaries of sixty-five thousand dollars a year for a, a medical case manager, a case manager who works in the medical system, case workers for the health insurance, the health. Um, um, managed care companies are getting $70,000 a year yes. and, and their jobs yes. are simpler than the case manager jobs in the child welfare system. So we're not solving the problem, but we are alleviating some of the pressure 
by increasing the salaries to 51000 And we're desperately hoping that city council and the mayor, the city council will agree to the mayor's request to increase the DHS budget to allow that to happen. Okay. And I hope that increase does not mean most of the money will go towards administration and the bureaucracy of, you know, sometimes the fund they get. Right. Uh, no, I understand what, exactly, exactly what you're saying. But the, yes. I believe Mayor Kenny and I believe Commissioner Ali that they're going to put the money into additional salaries because they understand just as well as, as you and I do how yes. critical it is to be able to pay these workers what they deserve. Yes, yes, yes. Great, great. And finally, I wanted, you know, you know, I wanted, I have, I had one more question, but I, you know, I think it's just slipped me just now. But, you know, as I wrap up, though, I wanted to say that um, you had said towards the end that the bot, but by the way, this is great news. Oh, I, I, I no, I've picked up my train of thought. Um, I wanted to say, say that um, I remember I was working for one four eight. I'm allowed to do that. I'm 70 years old. You're too young to be forgetting <laughs> what you're thinking about. <laughs> Yes, that is true. That is true. But um, but I wanted to say that, you know, there are some people who who take who, well, you know, the, the requirement, the credentials to be a case manager is still you have to have a master's um, or a bachelor's, correct? Bachelor's. They have to have a bachelor's to be a worker, to case worker. But you have case aides as against case managers. Right. Correct? Case aides don't have to have a bachelor's. Though turning points does require a bachelor's because case aids work is just as important as the case workers work. And um, there are people who are there are people there's some case managers who are complaining that they have to have a master's or a bachelor's, while other people who don't do who are not held accountable don't manage the case, they are getting they don't have to have a bachelor's. However, there are many case managers like that who are saying, "Well, I have to pay student loan, and we are paying." Three hundred dollars a month for student loan. Yet the salary, then they don't. So the, the issue That's of salary right. itself. Case managers have to be also paying three hundred dollars a month or four hundred dollars, whatever right. the case might be. For for student loans, a majority of the people who are case managers go um access their education through student loans. They're able to pay for their pay for their education through student loans, and so there many of them are saying that well, our salaries is just as similar to those people who are not case managers. That's right. What is happening in terms of in that in terms of make making it more fair or equitable? Absolutely. That's absolutely paid. necessary. That's why we need that's why we're advocating for bigger for higher compensation for the case managers because their <laughs> burden is often higher than the workers yes. who are not um don't have to pay off their student loans. It's yes. a major that's a major that's a whole nother conversation. The impact, that is that the impact is student debt is having on social services is enormously detrimental because they're all I, I was fortunate when I went to college which was in the 70s you know my 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 tuition I had a scholarship but my tuition per semester at the University of Pennsylvania was three thousand dollars three thousand dollars now that same that same uh semester costs $40,000. There's something significantly wrong with the way we provide a college education in the United States, and we have to do yes. something about that. I completely agree with you. Myself being involved in academic, as a, in academia as a student, and as a, 
teacher, but probably I teach a Caribbean course um, as an adjunct professor, but I'm an academic, um, a doctoral candidate at Georgetown. And let me tell you, when I see what's going on in terms of people are fighting down, fighting down the student, this $10,000 reprieve, $10,000. I owe about $400,000 in student loans. That's how much I owe. That's what I owe, Ronaldo McKenzie. Yes, I'm telling the world, Ronaldo McKenzie. And right now I'm doing my doctorate. It's paying, I'm paying out of pocket. It's crazy. But yet, still, but yet still they're saying, here it is that people are saying, having a problem with the US government um, helping to alleviate some of the financial burdens that people are having. When, say, when people are making, those who need the, the elite, who, needs the, who need the help are people who access to, are people who are working class people who That's are right. contributing significantly social services, they're teachers, but they're arguing. <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 the argument that we're just trying to help yes. young pe people who are people who themselves agreed to take on this debt is, is ridiculous. Uh, it's like it's not just about the fact that Ronaldo McKenzie owes $400,000. Yes. It's yes. that because uh -huh. of that, he can't do the work that he needs to do in the community just to yes. be a, to be able to help more people. It's a, it's it's a bigger problem than just the individual problem of people who have the debt. It's creating an enormous problem in city in in the United States of America in being able yeah. to have a society where people can not only get a living wage but where these universities who are making all this money are spending the money in ways that don't help us in the community to be, yes. be, be better, you know, be better, have better living conditions. So it's like, it's more than just your individual debt. It's about that debt being a burden on American society as a whole. There is a simple solution towards the Absolutely. end of the world. There is a simple solution, pay a living wage, Provide the kind of training and technology that supports good social work rather than just good paperwork. I love this. There is a simple solution, according to Mr. Fair in his testimony. Pay a living wage. Provide the kind of training and technology that supports good social work rather than just good paper. Stop starving city agencies, such as DHS, of the funds they need to support systems of care that actually work and which by, by actually working and which by actually working ultimately reduce the cost for the city's taxpayers, I'd be happy to work directly with members of this committee to explore in more detail the specific challenges that our providers face. And I think you did share some of those specific challenges that the providers are facing, yes? Yes, there's and, a long uh, list. There is a long list and uh, we won't have time. I think we have, we have run out of time, but name the top one, um, uh, uh, challenge that you that providers are facing. Ultimately, the issue we started with, which is the compensation of the workers, you can't yeah. do the job unless the workers. I mean, we can't do the job as an agency we're trying to do, or as a go city government we're trying to do. Yeah. If the workers can't do the job because they simply can't support their own families, it's as simple as that. So that's yeah. that's the that's the statement for my testimony we just read if we pay people a living wage that they're able to do their work every day that will allow them to do their work every day in a way that we could keep these children safe and out of the child welfare system it's a very simple calculation we're just not willing 
to prioritize it so far yeah. in how we spend the public's dollars. And I think we have to start public. Uh, we have to start arguing with each other to make that to make that change happen in how decisions are made in city government. That's why this mayoral election is so important. That's why people need to challenge the mayoral candidates. Are you willing to prioritize children in your yes. administration? And if you're willing to do that, are you willing to mean, does that mean you're willing to pay a living wage to all the yes. thousands of people in Philadelphia who are trying to help those children? Because if we don't pay a living wage, those workers will fail. Wow, and that's how we end. And though, and by the if you are from Philadelphia or wherever you are in the world, now you have a question. You can get involved in your government, get involved in your politics, get involved in your city government and so on. And you ask them those questions. You send email. What are you serious about child welfare? Okay. And if you are serious, are you willing to provide the funding that the families and the workers need in order to get things done? You know, and um, and what does that look like? And you know, so you now you have questions that you can ask of people. So the challenges facing children, um, according to Mr. Fair, families and workers involved in child welfare, as detailed in the workforce report, are in many ways complex, but in some ways they are simple to understand. If we invest in the safety and security of our children and in the livelihoods of the courageous heroes who go out every day to assure that safety and security, to ensure that, to ensure their safety and security, more children will thrive, more families will remain whole, more communities will be safe. If we don't, we are turning our backs on those children, on those families, and on those workers. And that begs the question, do we really and that is from the testimony. And that's how we end. Thank you so. And let me bring up that my screen and said, what, a, what an amazing time with you, man. Thank you, Ronaldo. I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to talk to you and your constituency about this critical issue. Yes, and we are going to, and we will continue to follow up with you. And as we, as we learn, you know, I follow you a lot. So as I learn about what you're doing, I say, oh, this is good. I need to get involved in this. I need to get you back on the show. <laughs> And, um, and thank you for sharing the testimony. And please, we and continue to contribute in any way possible to the show and to the journal. And for those of us who are watching, thank you for listening to another episode or watching another episode of the Neoliberal Round podcast. If you're listening by podcast or the Neoliberal Round by Ronaldo McKenzie Studios, if you are watching by YouTube. Well, continue to visit us at https anchor.fm. And our main website is renaldocmckenzie.com and the deliver.com. Remember, get a copy of my book, and subscribe to our feeds for free. It's all free, but don't remember. Oh, please, please do remember. Donate. Thank you, guys. And Take care. Yeah, man, thank you. Take thank care. You. And I'll Bye -bye. share this with you shortly. Bye -bye. Okay.